Chapter Seven of the Chronicles of Count Antonio by Anthony Hope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brett Downey. Count Antonio and the Lady of Rilano. From the lips of Tommasino himself, who was cousin to Count Antonio, greatly loved by him, and partaker of all his enterprises during the time of his sojourn as an outlaw in the hills, this, the story of the Lady of Rilano, came to my venerable brother in Christ, Niccolo and the same Niccolo, being a very old man, told it to me, so that I know the story is true, and every part of it, and tread here not on the doubtful ground of legend, but on the firm rock of the word of honest men. There is indeed one thing doubtful, Tomasino himself being unable to know the verity of it, yet that one thing is of small moment, for it is no more than whether the lady came first to Duke Valentine, offering her aid, or whether the Duke, who since the affair of the sacred bones had been ever active in laying schemes against Antonio, cast his eyes on the lady, and perceiving that she was very fair, and likely to serve his turn, sent for her, and persuaded her by gifts and by the promise of a great marriage to the task in hand. Be that as it may, it is certain that in the fourth year of Count Antonio's outlawry, the lady Venusta came from Rolano, where she dwelt, and talked alone with the duke in his cabinet, so that men, and women with greater urgency, asked what his highness did to take such a one into his counsels, for he had himself forbidden her to live in the city, and constrained her to abide in her house at Rilano, by reason of reports touching her fair fame. Nor did she then stay in Fromola, but having had audience of the duke, returned straightway to Rilano, and for the space of three weeks rested there, and the duke told nothing to his lords of what had passed between him and the lady, while the Count Antonio and his friends knew not so much as that the duke had held conference with the lady, for great penalties had been decreed against any man who sent word to Antonio of what passed in Fromola, and the pikemen kept strict guard on all who left or entered the city, so that it was rather like a town besieged than the chief place of a peaceful realm. Now at this time, considering that his hiding-place was too well known to the lord Lorenzo and certain of the duke's guard, Count Antonio descended from the hills by night, and having crossed the plain, carrying all his equipment with him, mounted again into the heights of Mount Anino, and pitched his camp in and about a certain cave, which is protected on two sides by high rocks, and on the third by the steep banks of a river, and can be approached by one path only. This cave was known to the duke, but he could not force it without great loss, so that Antonio was well nigh as safe as when his hiding-place had been unknown, and yet he was nearer by half to the city, but seven miles as a bird flies from the village of Rolano, where the Lady Venusta dwelt although to one who travelled by the only path that a man could go upright on his feet, the distance was hard on eleven miles. But no other place was so near, and from Rilano Antonio drew the better part of the provisions and stores of which he had need, procuring them secretly from the people, who were very strictly enjoined by the duke, to furnish him with nothing, under pain of forfeiture of all their goods. Yet one day, when the man they called Benna and a dozen more rode in the evening through Rilano, returning towards the cave, the maid-servant of Venusta met them, and with her, men bearing a great cask of fine wine, and the maid-servant said to Benna, My mistress bids you drink, for good men should not suffer thirst. But Benna answered her, asking, Do you know who we are? Ay, I know, and my lady knows, said the girl. But my lady says that if she must live at Rilano, then she will do what she pleases in Rilano. Benna and his men looked at one another, for they knew of his highness's proclamation. But the day having been hot, they being weary, the wine seeming good, and a woman knowing her own business best. At last they drank heartily, and, rendering much thanks, rode on and told Tomasino what had been done. 
and Tomasino, having told Antonio, the Count was very angry with Benna, saying that his gluttony would bring trouble on the Lady Venusta. "'She should not tempt a man,' said Benna sullenly. All these things happened on the second day of the week, and on the fourth, towards evening, as Antonio and Tomasino sat in front of the cave, they saw coming towards them one of the band named Luigi, a big fellow who had done good service, and was also a merry, jovial man that took the lead in good fellowship. And in his arms Luigi bore the Lady Venusta. Her gown was dishevelled and torn, and the velvet shoes on her feet were cut almost to shreds, and she lay back in Luigi's arms, pale and exhausted. Luigi came and set her down gently before Antonio, saying, "'My lord, three miles from here, in the steepest and roughest part of the way, I found this lady sunk on the ground and half-swooning. When I raised her and asked her how she came to where she was, and in such a plight, she could answer nothing save, "'Count Antonio, carry me to Count Antonio.' So I have brought her in obedience to her request. As Luigi ended, Venusta opened her eyes, and rising to her knees, held out her hands in supplication, saying, "'Protect me, my lord, protect me, for the duke has sent me word that to-morrow night he will burn my house and all that it holds, and will take me and lodge me in prison, and so use me there that I may know what befalls those who give aid to traitors. And all this comes upon me, my lord, because I gave a draught of wine to your men when they were thirsty.' "'I feared this thing,' said Antonio, "'and deeply I grieve at it, but I am loath to go in open war against the duke. Moreover, in the plain he would be too strong for me.' What then can I do? For here is no place in which a lady, the more if she be alone and unattended, can be lodged with seemliness. If the choice be between this and a prison, said Venusta, with a faint, sorrowful smile, yet it might be that I could convey you beyond His Highness's power, pursued Antonio, but I fear you could not travel far to-night. Indeed, I am weary even to death, moaned Venusta. There is nothing for it but that to-night at least she rest here said antonio to tomasino tomasino frowned when woman comes in said he behind the screen of his hand safety flies out better fly safety than courtesy and kindness cousin said count antonio and tomasino ceased to dissuade him although he was uneasy concerning the coming of venusta that night therefore all made their camps outside and gave the cave to venusta for her use having made a curtain of green boughs across its mouth but again the next day Venusta was too sick for travel. Nay, she seemed very sick, and she prayed Luigi go to Rilano and seek a physician, and Luigi, Antonio having granted him permission, went and returned saying that no physician dared come, in face of His Highness's proclamation. But the truth was that Luigi was in the pay of Venusta and of the Duke, and had sought by his journey not a physician, but means of informing the Duke how Venusta had sped, and of seeking counsel from him as to what should next be done. And that day, and for four days more, Venusta abode in the cave, protesting that she could not travel, and Antonio used her with great courtesy, above all when he heard that the Duke, having stayed to muster all his force for fear of Antonio, had at length appointed the next day for the burning of her house at Rilano, and the carrying off of all her goods. These tidings he gave her, and though he spoke gently, she fell at once into great distress, declaring that she had not believed the Duke would carry out his purpose, and weeping for her jewels and prized possessions which were in the house. Now Count Antonio, though no true man could call him fool, had yet a simplicity nobler it may be than the suspicious wisdom of those who, reading other hearts by their own, count all men rogues and all women wanton. And when he saw the lady weeping for the trinkets and her loved toys and trifles, he said, Nay, though I cannot meet the duke face to face, yet I will ride now and come there before him, and bring what you value most from the house." 
"'You will be taken,' said she, and she gazed at him with timid, admiring eyes. "'I had rather a thousand times lose the jewels than that you should run into danger, my lord, for I owe you liberty, and perhaps life.' "'I will leave Tomasino to guard you and ride at once.' and Antonio rose to his feet, smiling at her foolish fears. Then a thing that seemed strange happened, for Antonio gave a sudden cry of pain, and, behold, he had set his foot on the point of a dagger that was on the ground near to Lady Venusta, and the dagger ran deep into his foot, for it was resting on a stone, and the point sloped upwards, so that he trod full and with all his weight on the point, and he sank back on the ground with the dagger in his foot. How came the dagger there? How came it to rest against the stone? None could tell then, though it seems plain to him that considers now. None then thought that the lady who fled to Antonio, as though he were her lover, and lavished tears and sighs on him, had placed it there. Nor that honest Luigi, who made such moan of his carelessness in dropping his poniard, had taken more pains over the losing of his weapon than most men over the preservation of theirs. Luigi cursed himself, and the lady cried out on fate, and Count Antonio consoled both of them, saying that the wound would soon be well, and that it was too light a matter for a lady to dim her bright eyes for the sake of it. Yet light as the matter was, it was enough for Venusta's purpose, and for the scheme of Duke Valentine, for Count Antonio could neither mount his horse nor go afoot to Venusta's house in Rolano, and, if the jewels were to be saved and the lady's tears dried, mightily, she declared with pretty self-reproach, was she ashamed to think of the jewels beside Antonio's hurt, but yet they were dear to her. Then Tomasino must go in his place to Rolano, and take all save benna and two more said antonio for the duke will not come here if he goes to rilano ay said benna am neither nurse nor physician nor woman let martolo stay he says there is already too much blood on his conscience and let me go for there is not so much as i could bear on mine and maybe we shall have a chance of an encounter with the foreguard of the duke but venusta said to antonio let both of these men go and let luigi stay for he is a clever fellow and will aid me in tending your wound. So be it, said Antonio. Let Luigi and the two youngest stay, and do the rest of you go, and return as speedily as you may, and the Lady Venusta shall, of her great goodness, dress my wound, which pains me more than such a trifle should. Thus the whole band, saving Luigi and two youths, rode off early in the morning with Tomasino, their intent being to reach Milano and get clear of it again before the Duke had come thither from the city. And Venusta sent no message to the Duke, seeing that all had fallen out most prosperously, and as had been arranged between them, for the duke was not in truth minded to go at all to Rolano, but at earliest dawn, before Tomasino had set forth, the lord Lorenzo left the city with a hundred pikemen, more he would not take, fearing to be delayed if his troop were too large, and he made a great circuit, avoiding Rolano and the country adjacent to it, so that by midday Tomasino was come with thirty and four men, the whole strength of the band, except the three with Antonio, to Rilano, and meeting with no resistance, entered Venusta's house, and took all that was precious in it, and loaded their horses with the rich tapestries, and the choicest of the furnishings, and then, having regaled themselves with good cheer, started in the afternoon to ride back to the cave, Tomasino and Benna grumbling to one another, because they had chanced on no fighting, but not daring to tarry by reason of Antonio's orders. But their lamentations were without need, for when they came to the pass of Mount Anino, there at the entrance of the road which led up to the cave, by the side of the river, was encamped a force of eighty pikemen under the lieutenant of the guard. Thus skilfully had the Lord Lorenzo performed his duty, and cut off Tomasino and his company from all access to the cave, and now he himself was gone with twenty men up the mountain path, 
to take Antonio according to the scheme of the Duke and the Lady Venusta. But Benna and Tomasino were sore aghast, and said to one another, There is treachery. What are we to do? For the eighty of the Duke's men were posted strongly, and it was a great hazard to attack them. Yet this risk they would have run, for they were ready rather to die than to sit there idle while Antonio was taken. And in all likelihood they would have died, had the lieutenant obeyed the orders which Lorenzo had given him, and rested where he was, covered by the hill and the river. But the lieutenant was a young man, of hot temper and impetuous, and to his mistaken pride it seemed as though it were cowardice for eighty men to shrink from attacking thirty and five, and for the duke's guards to play for advantage in a contest with a band of robbers. Moreover, Tomasino's men taunted his men, crying to them to come down and fight like men in the open. Therefore, counting on a sure victory and the pardon it would gain, about three o'clock in the afternoon he cried, Let us have at these rascals! And to Tomasino's great joy, his troop remounted their horses and made ready to charge from their position. Then Tomasino said, We are all ready to face the enemy for my lord and cousin's sake, but I have need now of those who will run away for his sake. Then he laid his plans that when the lieutenant's troop charged, his men should not stand their ground, and five men he placed on one extremity of his line, bent at their head, and four others, with himself he posted at the other extremity. Also he spread out his line very wide, so that it stretched on either side beyond the line of the lieutenant, and he bade the twenty and five in the centre not abide the onset, but turn and flee at a gallop, trusting to the speed of their horses for escape and he made them fling away all that they had brought from the Lady Venusta's house, that they might ride the lighter. And I pray God, said he, that you will escape alive, but if you do not, it is only what your oath to my lord constrains you to. But you and I, Benna, with our men, will ride, not back towards the plain, but on towards the hills, and it may be that we shall thus get ahead of the lieutenant, and once we are ahead of him in the hilly ground, he will not catch us before we come to the cave. Unless, began Benna, there be another party— Hist, said Tomasino, and he whispered to Benna, They will fear if they hear all. Then the duke's men came forth, and it fell out as Tomasino had planned, for the body of the duke's men, when they saw Tomasino's rank broken and his band flying, set up a great shout of scorn and triumph, and dug spurs into their horses and pursued the runaways. And the runaways rode at their top speed, and having come nearly to Rilana without being caught, they were three of them overtaken and captured by the well at the entrance to the village, but the rest, wheeling to the right, dashed across the plain, making for Antonio's old hiding-place, and having lost two more of their number whose horses failed, and having slain four of the guard who pursued incautiously ahead of the rest, they reached the spurs of the hills, and there they scattered, every man by himself, and found refuge, some in the woods, some in shepherds' huts. So they came off with their lives. But the men with Tomasina and Benna had ridden straight for the hill-road, and had passed the lieutenant before he apprehended Tomasino's scheme. Then he cried aloud to his men, and eight of them, hearing him, checked their horses, but could not understand what he desired of them, till he cried aloud again, and pointed with his hand towards where the ten, Tomasino leading, and Benna in the rear, had gained the hill-road, and were riding up it as swiftly as their horses could mount. Then the lieutenant cursed his own folly, gathered them, and rode after Tomasina and Benna. "'Be of good heart,' said the lieutenant. "'They are between us and the company of my lord Lorenzo.' Yet, though he said this, his mind was not at ease, for the horses of his men, being unaccustomed to the hills, could not mount the road as did the sure-footed mountain horses ridden by Tomasino's company, and the space widened between them, and at last Tomasino's company disappeared from sight, at the point where the track turned sharp to the left, round a great jutting rock that stood across the way, and left room for but three men to ride abreast between river and rock. 
Then the lieutenant drew rein and took counsel with his men, for he feared that Tomasino would wait for him behind the jutting rock and dash out on his flank as he rode round. Therefore for a while he considered, and a while longer he allowed for the breathing of his horses, and then with great caution rode on towards the jutting rock, which lay about the half of a mile from him. And when he came near it, he and his men heard a voice cry, "'Quiet! Quiet! They are close now!' "'They will dash at us as we go round,' said the lieutenant. "'And we can go no more than three together,' said one of the guards. "'Are you all ready?' said the voice behind the cliff, in accents that but just reached round the rock. "'Not a sound for your lives!' Yet a sound there was, of a jingling bit, and then again an angry, "'Curse you, you clumsy fool! Be still!' And then all was still. "'They are ready for us now!' whispered a guard, with an uneasy smile. "'I will go,' said the lieutenant. "'Which two of you will lead the way with me?' But the men grumbled, saying, "'It is the way to death that you ask us to lead, sir.' Then the lieutenant drew his men back, and as they retreated they made a noise great, hoping to make Tomasino think they were gone. And, having thus withdrawn some five hundred paces, they rested in utter quiet for half an hour. And it was then late afternoon, and the lieutenant said, I will go first alone, and in all likelihood I shall be slain. But do you follow immediately after me and avenge my death? And this they, being ashamed for their first refusal, promised to do. Then the lieutenant rode softly forward till he came within twenty yards of the rock, and he clapped spurs to his horse and shouted, and followed close by his men, crying, For God and our Duke! charged round the jutting rock. And behold, on the other side of it was not a man and of Tomasino and his company naught was to be seen, for they had used the last hour to put a great distance between them and their pursuers, save that away, far up the road, in the waning light of the sun, was to be dimly perceived the figure of a man on horseback, who waved his hat to them, and turning, was in an instant lost to view. And this man was Benna, who, by himself, and without a blow, had held the passage of the jutting rock for hard on an hour, thus given time to Tomasino to ride on and come upon the rear of Lorenzo's company before the lieutenant and his men could hem them in on the other side. Thus had the day worn to evening, and long had the day seemed to Antonio, who sat before the mouth of the cave, with Venusta by his side. And all day they sat thus alone, for Luigi and the two youths had gone to set snares in the wood behind the cave, or such was the pretext Luigi made, and Antonio had let them go, charging them to keep in earshot. As the long day passed, Antonio, seeking to entertain the lady and find amusement for her through the hours, began to recount to her all that he had done, how he had seized the sacred bones, the manner of his difference with the abbot of St. Prision, and much else. But of the killing of Duke Paul he would not speak, nor did he speak of his love for Lucia, till Venusta pressed him, making parade of great sympathy for him. But when he had set his tongue to the task, he grew eloquent, his eyes gleamed and his cheek flushed, and he spoke in the low, reverent voice that a true lover uses when he speaks of his mistress, as though his wanted accents were too common and mean for her name. And Venusta sat listening, casting now and again a look at him out of her deep eyes, and finding his eyes never on hers, but filled with the fancied vision of Lucia. And at last, growing impatient with him, she broke out petulantly. "'Is this girl, then, different from all others, that you speak of her as though she were a goddess?' "'I would not have spoken of her, but that you pressed me.' laughed Antonio. Yet in my eyes she is a goddess, as every maid should be to her lover. Venusta caught a twig from the ground and broke it sharp across. Boys talk, said she, and she flung the broken twig away. Antonio laughed gently and leant back, resting on the rock. Maybe, said he, yet is there none who talks boys talk for you? I love men, 
said she, not boys. And if I were a man, I think I would love a woman, not a goddess. It is heaven's chance, I doubt not, said Antonio, laughing again. Had you and I chanced to love, we should not have quarrelled with the boy's talk, nor at the name of goddess. She flushed suddenly and bit her lip, but she answered in raillery. Indeed, had it been so, a marvel of a lover I should have had, for you have not seen your mistress for many, many months, and yet you are faithful to her, are you not, my lord? Small credit not to wander from where you love to rest, said Antonio. And yet youth goes in waiting, and delights missed, come not again, said she, leaning towards him with a light in her eyes, and scanning his fair hair and bronze cheek, his broad shoulders, and the sinewy hands that nursed his knee. It may well be that they will not come to me, he said, for the duke has had a halter ready for my throat, if by force or guile he can take me. She started at these words, searching his face, but he was calm and innocent of any hidden meaning. She forced a laugh as she said, twisting a curl of her hair round her finger, The more reason to waste no time, my lord Antonio. Antonio shook his head and said lightly, But I think he cannot take me by force, and I know of no man in all the duchy that would betray me to a shameful death. And of no woman? she asked, glancing at him from under drooping lashes. No, for I have wronged none, and women are not cruel. Yet there may be some, my lord, who will call you cruel, and therefore would be cruel in vengeance. A lover faithful as you can have but one friend among women. I know of none such, he laughed, and surely the vengeance would be too great for the offence, if there were such. Nay, I know not that, said Venusta, frowning. I would trust myself to any woman, even though the duke offered her great rewards. I, as readily as I put faith in Lucia herself, or in you. You couple me with her? In that matter most readily, said Antonio. But in nothing else? she asked, flushing again in anger, for still his eyes were distant, and he turned them never on her. You must pardon me, he said. My eyes are blinded. For a moment she sat silent. Then she said in a low voice, But blind eyes have learned to see before now, my lord. Then Antonio set his eyes on her, and now she could not meet them, but turned her burning face away, for her soul was in tumult, and she knew not now whether she loved or hated him, nor whether she would save or still betray him, and the trust he had in her gnawed her guilty heart, so that a sudden passion seized her, and she caught Antonio by the arm, crying, But if a woman held your life in her hand, and asked your love as its price, Antonio? Such a thing could not be, said he, wondering. Nay, but it might, and if it were? And Antonio, marveling more and more at her vehemence, answered, Love is dear, and honor is dear, but we of Montevelluto hold life of no great price. Yet it is a fearful and shameful thing to hang from the city wall. There are worse things, said he, but indeed I count not to do it. And he laughed again. Venusta sprang to her feet and paced the space between the cave and the river bank with restless steps. Once she flung her hands above her head and clasped them. Then, holding them clasped in front of her, she stood by Antonio and bent over him, till her hair, falling forward as she stooped, brushed his forehead and mingled with his fair locks, and she breathed softly his name. Antonio! Antonio! At this he looked up with a great start, stretching up his hand as though to check her, but he said nothing. And she, suddenly sobbing, fell on her knees by him, yet as suddenly she ceased to sob, and a smile came on her lips, and she leant towards him, saying again, Antonio! I pray you, I pray you, said he, seeking to stay her courteously. Then, careless of her secret, she flashed out in wrath, 
Ah, you scorn me, my lord. You care nothing for me. I am dirt to you. Yet I hold your life in my hand. And then, in an instant, she grew again softened, beseeching. Am I so hideous, dear lord, that death is better than my love? For if you will love me, I will save you. I know not how my life is in your hands, said he, glad to catch at that and leave the rest of what Venusta said. Is there any path that leads higher up into the mountains? she asked. Yes, there is one, said he, but if need came now, I could not climb it with this wounded foot of mine. Luigi and the young men could carry you. Yes, but what need? Tomasino and the band will return soon. But she caught him by the hand, crying, Rise, rise, call the men and let them carry you. Come, there is no time for lingering. And if I save you, my lord Antonio. And a yearning question sounded in her voice. If you save me a thousand times, I can do nothing else than pray you spare me what is more painful than death to me, said he, looking away from her and being himself in great confusion. Come, come, she cried. Call them, perhaps some day. Call them, Antonio. But as she spoke, before Antonio could call, there came a loud cry from the wood behind the cave, the cry of a man in some great strait. Antonio's hand flew to his sword, and he rose to his feet, and stood leaning on his sword. Then he cried aloud to Luigi, and in a moment Luigi and one of the youths came running, and Luigi, casting one glance at Venusta, said breathlessly, My lord, Jacopo's foot slipped, and the poor fellow has fallen down a precipice thirty feet deep onto the rocks below, and we fear he is sore hurt. Venusta sprang a step forward, for she suspected, what the truth was, that Luigi himself had aided the slipping of Jacopo's foot by a sudden lurch against him. But she said nothing, and Antonio bade Luigi go quick and look after Jacopo, and take the other youth with him. "'But we shall leave you unguarded, my lord,' said Luigi, with a cunning show of solicitude. "'I am in no present danger, and the youth may be dying. Go speedily,' said Antonio. Luigi turned, and with the other youth, Tomasino told Niccolo his name, but Niccolo had forgotten it. Rushed off, and even as he went, Venusta cried, "'It is a lie! You yourself brought it about!' But Luigi did not hear her, and Antonio, left again alone, asked her, "'What mean you?' "'Nay, I mean not,' she said, affrightened, and when faced by his inquiring eyes, not daring to confess her treachery. "'I hope the lad is not killed,' said Antonio. "'I care not for a thousand lads. Think of yourself, my lord.' And planning to rouse Antonio without betraying herself, she said, "'I distrust this man Luigi. Is he faithful? The Duke can offer great rewards.' "'He has served me well, and I have no reason to mistrust him,' said Antonio. "'Ah, you trust everyone,' she cried in passion, and in scorn of his simplicity. "'You trust Luigi. You trust me.' "'Why not?' said he. "'But indeed now I have no choice, for they cannot carry both Jacopo and me up the path.' "'Jacopo? You would stay for Jacopo?' she flashed out fiercely. "'If nothing else, yet my oath would bind me not to leave him while he lives. For we of the band are all bound to one another, as brethren by an oath, and it would look ill if I— for whom they all have given much, were the first to break the oath. So here am I, and here I must stay. And Antonio ended smiling, and, his foot hurting him while he stood, sat down again and rested against the rock. It was now late, and evening fell, and Venusta knew that the Duke's men should soon be upon them. And she sat down near Antonio, and buried her face in her hands, and she wept. For Antonio had so won her by his honor and his gentleness, and most of all by his loyal clinging to the poor boy Jacopo, that she could not think of her treachery without loathing and horror. Yet she dared not tell him. That now seemed worse to her than death. 
and while they sat thus luigi came and told antonio that the youth was sore hurt and that they could not lift him then stay by him said antonio i need nothing and luigi bowed and turning went back to the other youth and bade him stay by jacopo while he went by antonio's orders to seek for some one to aid in carrying him i may chance said he to find some shepherds so he went not to seek shepherds but to seek the duke's men and tell them that they might safely come upon antonio for he had now none to guard him then antonio said to venusta why do you sit and weep for he thought that she wept because he had scorned the love in which her words declared her to hold him and he was sorry but she made no answer and he went on i pray you do not weep for think not that i am blind to your beauty or to the sweet kindness which you have bestowed upon me and in all things that i may i will truly and faithfully serve you to my death then she raised her head and she said that will not be long antonio i know not but for so long as it may be said he it will not be long she said again and burst into quick passionate sobs that shook her and left her at last breathless and exhausted antonio looked at her for a while and said there is something that you do not tell me yet if it be anything that causes you pain or shame you may tell me as readily as you would any man for i am not a hard man and i have many things on my own conscience that forbid me to judge harshly of another she raised her head and she lifted her hand into the air the stillness of the evening had fallen and a light wind blew up from the plain there seemed no sound save the flowing of the river and the gentle rustle of the trees hark said she hark hark and with every repetition of the word her voice rose till it ended in a cry of terror antonio set his hand to his ear and listened intently it is the sound of men's feet on the rocky path said he smiling tomasino returns and i doubt not that he brings your jewels with him will you not give him a smiling welcome ay and to me also your smiles would be welcome for your weeping melts my heart and the dimness of your eyes is like a cloud across the sun venusta's sobs had ceased and she looked at antonio with a face calm white and set it is not the lord tomasino she said the men you hear are the duke's men and then and there she told him the whole yet she spoke as though neither he nor any other were there but as though she rehearsed for her own ear some lesson that she had learnt so lifeless and monotonous was her voice as it related the shameful thing and at last she ended saying thus in an hour you will be dead or captured and held for a worse death it is i who have done it and she bent her head again to meet her hands yet she did not cover her face but rested her chin on her hands and her eyes were fixed immovably on count antonio for the space of a minute or two he sat silent then he said i fear then that tomasino and the rest have had a fight against great odds but they are stout fellows tomasino and old benna and the rest i hope it is well with them then after a pause he went on yes the sound of the steps comes nearer they will be here before long now but i had not thought it of luigi though brogue i trust they will not find the two lads venusta sat silent waiting for him to reproach her he read her thought on her face and he smiled at her and said to her go and meet them or go if you will away up the path for you should not be here when the end comes then she flung herself at his feet asking forgiveness but finding no word for her prayer ay ay said he gently but of god you must ask it in prayers and good deeds and he dragged himself to the cave and set himself with his back against the rock and his face toward the path along which the duke's men must come and he called again to venusta saying i pray you do not stay here but she heeded him not but sat again on the ground her chin resting on her hands and her eyes on his hark they are near now 
said he, and he looked round at sky and trees, and at the rippling swift river, and at the long dark shadows of the hills, and he listened to the faint sounds of the birds and living creatures in the wood, and a great lust of life came over him, and for a moment his lip quivered, and his head fell, for he was very loath to die. Yet soon he smiled again, and raised his head, and so leant easily against the rock. Now the Lord Lorenzo and his twenty men, conceiving that the lieutenant of the guard could without difficulty hold Tomasino, had come along leisurely, desiring to be in good order, and not weary when they met Antonio, for they feared him. And thus it was evening when they came near the cave, and halted a moment to make their plans. And here Luigi met them, and told them how Antonio was alone and unguarded. But Lorenzo desired, if it were possible, to take Antonio alive, and carry him alive to the duke, knowing that thus he would win his highness's greatest thanks. And while they talked of how this might best be effected, they in their turn heard the sound of men coming up the road, this sound being made by Tomasino, Benna, and their party, who had ridden as fast as the weariness of their horses let them. But because they had ridden fast, their horses were foundered, and they had dismounted, and were now coming on foot, and Lorenzo heard them coming, just as he had also decided to go forward on foot, and had caused the horses to be led into the woods and tethered there. And he asked, Who are these? Then one of his men, a skilled woodsman and hunter, listening, answered, They are short of a dozen, my lord. They must be come with tidings from the lieutenant of the guard, for they would be more if the lieutenant came himself, or if by chance Tomasino's band had eluded him. Come, said Lorenzo, the capture of the count must be ours, not theirs. Let us go forward without delay. Thus Lorenzo and his men pushed on, and but the half of a mile behind came Tomasino and his, and again three or four miles behind them came the lieutenant and his, and all these companies were pressing on towards the cave where Antonio and Venusta were. But Tomasino's men still marched the quicker, and they gained on Lorenzo, while the lieutenant did not gain on them. Yet by reason of the unceasing winding of the way, as it twisted round rocks and skirted precipices, they did not come in sight of Lorenzo, nor did he see them. Indeed, he thought now of nothing but of coming first on Antonio, and securing the glory of taking him before the lieutenant came up. And Tomasino, drawing near the cave, gave his men orders to walk very silently, for he hoped to surprise Lorenzo unawares. Thus, as the sun sank out of sight, Lorenzo came to the cave, and to the open space between it and the river, and beheld Antonio standing with his back against the rock, and his drawn sword in his hand, and Venusta crouched on the ground some paces away. When Venusta saw Lorenzo, she gave a sharp, stifled cry, but did not move. Antonio smiled, and drew himself up to his full height. "'Your tricks have served you well, my lord,' he said. "'Here I am alone and crippled.' "'Then yield yourself,' said Lorenzo. "'We are twenty to one.' "'I will not yield,' said Antonio. I can die here as well as at Fermola, and a thrust is better than a noose. Then Lorenzo, being a gentleman of high spirit and courage, waved his men back, and they stood still ten paces off, watching intently as Lorenzo advanced toward Antonio, for, though Antonio was lamed, yet they looked to see fine fighting. And Lorenzo advanced towards Antonio, and said again, Yield yourself, my lord. I will not yield, said Antonio again. At this instant the woodsman who was with Lorenzo raised his hand to his ear and listened for a moment, but Tomasino came softly, and the woodsman was deceived. "'It is but leaves,' he said, and turned again to watch Lorenzo. And that lord now sprang fiercely on Antonio, and the swords crossed, and as they crossed, Venusta crawled on her knees nearer, and as the swords played, nearer still she came, none noticing her, till at length she was within three yards of Lorenzo. He was now pressing Antonio hard, for the count was in great pain from his foot, 
and as often as he was compelled to rest his weight on it, it came near to failing him, nor could he follow up any advantage he might gain against Lorenzo. Thus passed three or four minutes in the encounter, and the woodsman cried, Hark! Here comes the lieutenant! Quick, my lord, or you lose half the glory! Then Lorenzo sprang afresh on Antonio. Yet as he sprang, another sprang also, and as that other sprang, there arose a shout from Lorenzo's men. Yet they did not rush to aid in the capture of Antonio, but turned themselves round, for Benna, with Tomasino at his heels, had shot among them like a stone hurled from a catapult, and this man Benna was a great fighter, and now he was all aflame with love and fear for Count Antonio, and he crashed through their ranks, and split the head of the woodsman with the heavy sword he carried, and thus he came to Lorenzo. But there in amazement he stood still, for Antonio and Lorenzo had dropped their points and fought no more, but both stood with their eyes on the slim figure of a girl that lay on the ground between them, and blood was pouring from a wound in her breast, and she moaned softly. And while the rest fought fiercely, these three stood, looking on the girl, and Lorenzo looked also on his sword, which was dyed three inches up the blade. For as he thrust most fiercely at Antonio, Venustad sprung at him, with the spring of a young tiger, a dagger flashing in her hand, and in the instinct that sudden danger brings he had turned his blade against her, and the point of it was deep in her breast before he drew it back with horror and a cry of, Heavens! I have killed her! And she fell full on the ground at the feet of Count Antonio, who had stood motionless in astonishment with his sword in rest. Now the stillness and secrecy of Tomasino's approach had served him well, for he had come upon Lorenzo's men when they had no thought of an enemy, but stood crowded together, shoulder to shoulder, and several of them were slain, and more hurt before they could use their swords to any purpose. But Tomasino's men had fallen on them with great fury, and had broken through them even as Benna had, and, getting above them, were now, step by step, driving them down the path, and formed a rampart between them and the three who stood by the dying lady. And when Benna perceived this advantage, wasting little thought of Manusta, he was a hard man, this Benna, he cried to Antonio, "'Leave him to me, my lord. We have him sure.' And in an instant he would have sprung at Lorenzo, who, finding himself between two enemies, knew that his state was perilous, but he was yet minded to defend himself. But Antonio suddenly cried in a loud voice, "'Stay!' And arrested by his voice, all stood still, Lorenzo where he was, Tomasino and his men at the top of the path, and the guards just below them. And Antonio, leaning on his sword, stepped a pace forward and said to Lorenzo, "'My lord, the dice have fallen against you. But I would not fight over this lady's body. The truth of all she did I know. Yet she has at the last died that I might live. See, my men are between you and your men.' "'It is the hazard of war,' said Lorenzo. "'Aye,' said Benna. "'He had killed you, my lord Antonio, had we not come.' But Antonio pointed to the body of Venusta, and she, at the instant, moaned again, and turned on her back, and gasped and died. Yet just before she died, her eyes sought Antonio's eyes, and he dropped suddenly on his knees beside her, and took her hand and kissed her brow, and they saw that she smiled in dying.' Then Lorenzo brushed a hand across his eyes, and said to Antonio, "'Suffer me to go back with my men, and for a week there shall be a truce between us.' "'Let it be so,' said Antonio. And Benna smiled, for he knew that the lieutenant of the guard must now be near at hand. But this he did not tell Antonio, fearing that Antonio would tell Lorenzo. Then Lorenzo, with uncovered head, passed through the rank of Tomasino's men, and he took up his dead, and with them went down the path, leaving Venusta where she lay and when he had gone two miles he met the lieutenant and his party pressing on. Yet when the two companies had joined, there were no more than seventeen whole and sound men, for so many of Lorenzo's had Tomasino's party slain or hurt. 
Therefore, Lorenzo in his heart was not much grieved at the truce, for it had been hard with seventeen to force the path to the cave against ten, all unhurt and sound. And, having sorely chidden the lieutenant of the guard, he rode back, and rested that night in Venusta's house at Rolano, and the next day rode on to Fermola, and told the Duke Valentine how the expedition had sped. Then said Duke Valentine, Force I have tried, and guile I have tried, and yet this man is delivered from my hand. Fortune fights for him. And in chagrin and displeasure he went into his cabinet, and spoke to no man, and showed himself nowhere in the city for the space of three days. But the townsmen, though they dared make no display, rejoiced that Antonio was safe, and the more because the duke had laid so cunning and treacherous a snare for him. Now Antonio, Tomasino, and the rest, when they were left alone, stood round the corpse of Venusta, and Antonio told them briefly all the story of her treachery, as she herself had told it to him. And when he had finished the tale, Benna cried, She has deserved her death. But Tomasino stooped down and composed her limbs and her raiment gently with his hand, and when he rose up his eyes were dim, and he said, Yes, but at the last she gave her life for Antonio, and though she deserved death, it grieves me that she has gone to her account thus, without confession, pardon, or the rites of holy church. Then Antonio said, Behold, her death is her confession, and the same should be her pardon. And for the rites, he bent over her, and he dipped the tip of his finger in the lady's blood that had flowed from her wounded breast, and lightly with his fingertip he signed the cross in her own blood on her brow. That, said he, shall be her unction, and I think, Tomasino, it will serve. Thus the Lady Venusta died, and they carried her body down to Rolano and buried it there, and in after days a tomb was raised over her, which may still be seen. But Count Antonio, being rejoined by such of his company as had escaped by flight from the pursuit of the Duke's troop, abode still in the hills, and, ab and albeit that his force was less, yet by the dread of his name and of the deeds that he had done, he still defied the power of the Duke, and was not brought into submission. And whether the poor youth whom Luigi pushed over the precipice lived or died, Niccolo knew not. But Luigi, having entered the service of the Duke, played false to him also, and being convicted on sure evidence of taking to himself certain monies that the Duke had charged him to distribute to the poor, was hanged in the great square a year to the very day after Venusta died. Whereat, let him grieve who will, I grieve not. End of chapter. Recording by Brett Downey.